Hello and welcome to the RBC Broadview Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Why don't you clap? We don't do that a lot, do we? Come on. Let's break the tension. Thanks, Elliot. Thanks, Andrew. Very generous of you, mate. I'm used to, I'm used to the people in my community uh, showing their Australian love to me through banter and sarcasm, so to hear something so generous and loving, mate, was refreshing and I'm very grateful. Um, I'm also, yeah, that's right, yeah, um, I'm also feeling like I'm interrupting the silence a little bit with the passage and also the passion of the, uh, what we're going to talk about today, so I hope you're okay with us shifting energy a little bit. Um, I think Andrew and the rest of the Broadview community would invite you back into that space afterwards if that's where you want to um, be, if that's where you need to be today, but I'm really excited to be here on Neighbour Day because a big part of our passion at Richmond uh, was neighbourhood. Uh, it shaped the focus of the style and story of our journey there. Uh, it's how Sarah and I have done ministry. We're not sure how to do it when we're not in a neighbourhood. Um, and so I'm really excited to be here. It was great to see you guys celebrating with Neighbour Day, with pancakes and inviting uh, the community. And I, sure, I saw that the council had, uh, on Facebook, advertised for you on your behalf that this was a great place to be. Uh, on Neighbour Day, which is just absolutely fantastic part of the story of Broadview here. And we've been really excited to see Andrew and Rach uh, come here and settle in, and uh, for all of you who have joined in, as well as those of of you who have been originals at Broadview for a while. Uh, What a great story of what God can do and is doing. Um, I have the the privilege of being Leadership and Mission Facilitator at Baptist Churches of SA, Um, So I'm not just Andrew's friend, I'm also part of our wider movement. You are part of a wider movement of over 70 churches across South Australia, another dozen across the NT, uh, really uh, numbers of people who are faithfully, uh, courageously, generously loving their neighbourhoods in all sorts of spaces, suburbs, regional towns, remote places, God is at work. One of the uh, great privileges I have is meeting and hearing the stories of what God is up to, meeting the people that are being impacted by the work of people through Baptist churches across both states. Uh, And one of the things that I can say without reservation is that God is always at work, even when we might not feel like he is. Maybe over the last few years that's been part of your experience, but one of the messages of encouragement that I want to share to you from the wider movement is that God is at work and people's lives are being changed in all sorts of ways. I think you guys are seeing that here but I think it's good for us to know that that's happening in all sorts of other spaces and ways across um, the movement as well. So it's a great great privilege to be with you this morning. Um, I I absolutely love the stories that I hear out of Broadview, and it's been great to see the building change. I haven't seen the new veranda and area out there until today um, as the community changes. And I think it's just a great story of what God is up to, um, of what he's opening up as the doors get wider to make room for more people. I'm really passionate about Neighbour Day, uh, really excited to be here, and I'm glad to be joining in with the series that echoes off of Jesus' repeated words through his stories, where he says, I have come. I'm really excited to join in with a couple of messages that have already been part of this series, and this morning we want to have a look about what Jesus says about good news and the shape of our world. 
Jesus says, I have come to bring good news. Good news that shapes our world in every way. The good news is an imagination of a renewed and better you and world and way of life. But this is not just some pop psychology or utopian dream or political ideology or something that only happens in another dimension or even only in the afterlife. Jesus proclaimed and embodied a grounded good news, a here and now good news, a holistic good news, and all of who you are, and all of who we are, and all of this world, good news, and every part of life, good news. And this good news is proclaimed by Jesus, and found in Jesus, and brought about by Jesus, and lived out by Jesus. It is good news that reconciles and restores all that is broken, all that is disrupted, all that is cursed, all that is abandoned, all that is diseased, all that is separated, all that is distorted, all that is dead. It is good news for life and death and life after life after death. It is good news that heralds fulfillment and light and life and joy and peace and wholeness in this life. The story told in countless ways and over countless generations in the Bible is the stories of the good news of a God that is not far off and indifferent, but one overflowing in love that passionately pursues restoration with humanity, reconciling relationships, healing what's broken within, and ultimately completing a grand renovation project of all of creation. And all of this happens in and through and by and for King Jesus. The good news? The good news is that the king is here. And his kingdom has come. And you are invited. And this changes everything. Your life, this world, everything. The good news is about Jesus. The good news is Jesus. And when Jesus enters the story... One of the first things he does is he says, I have come to bring good news. But it's not just good news for you and for me. It is good news for our world. It's also good news for your neighbor. There's this amazing story in the Gospel of Luke where King Jesus shares a sermon on the good news for all of us, for our world I'm keen for us to have a look. So if you have a Bible or a phone, it will be up on the screen, some of it. But Luke chapter 4, verse 14 to 21. Let me read some of this story for us. Luke chapter 4, from verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began his sermon that day by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This story is happening right at the very start of Jesus' public ministry. He has only just begun to live out more publicly the good news he knew he was to share with the world, that he knew he was to the world. And he goes back to where he grew up and his extended rallies are all there and he knows everyone there and he heads to the synagogue, the local church, where the Jews gathered for prayer and worship and the public reading of scriptures, a little bit like we have today. And on this day, it's Jesus' turn to read and to preach and he opens the skull and he, and he reads it and he delivers a sermon. And the sermon is so wonderful that the people are amazed. But that's not their only reaction. The sermon is so surprising that they overflow with frustration. And they are so full of frustration and anger at him that they try to throw him off the top of a hill in the middle of their town. So there are a couple of ways things can go this morning, based on what I say. Hopefully, you come away more amazed at the person of Jesus. Hopefully, you come away surprised at the unexpected, upside-down news story you are invited to live into and live out of. Hopefully, we don't end up on the edge of some hill somewhere. So what does Jesus say? Well, he's reading from a prophet in our Old Testament called Isaiah, a good news prophet, a prophet who describes the shape of a new world and a new way of life and a promised Messiah, a saviour, a servant king. Isaiah is descriptive and poetic and challenging. And he, and he writes and speaks and preaches about 700 years before Jesus. Isaiah paints a picture of a future where the people of God would be rescued from exile, their life and world restored, and a king would lead them into their new future. And there's some really interesting things about Isaiah's painting of the, of the future Messiah king. There's some surprising descriptions of a servant king that would be rejected and despised and would die in order for the promised future to be fulfilled. There are lots of hints to an upside-down kingdom all through the poems and prophetic preaching of Isaiah. And the people of God seem to miss many of them. And so they still expect, in Jesus' time, a king who would be powerful and prosperous and bring about the promised future through power and politics and would deal to their enemies and would create the kingdom that they imagined for them. And so Jesus opens up this scroll and he reads words from Isaiah chapter 58 and 61. He didn't have the chapters, but he read those words from the scroll. And when he sits down to preach, that's what they did in those days, he shocks his listeners by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. An eight-word sermon. I've already said more than eight words this morning. Not a reason to throw me off a cliff. But if I was to say just eight words today, I would say Jesus is the good news for the world. Jesus is the good news for the world. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises and expectations and hopes of the ancients. And he is the fulfillment of all the promises and expectations and hopes that you might have. Yeah. And he is the good news that this world longs for. Yeah. 
And he's not only the bringer of that good news, he is the good news. He says, I am here to fulfill these promises, these hopes. We're no longer waiting for that day, for that Messiah. I am here. As Jesus' story progresses, his death and his resurrection and the presence of the Holy Spirit in in his people are all fulfillments of the promises and of the words that Jesus is reading here. He chooses to read these words of good news here in this passage to help us and his hearers to understand the shape of his message and the shape of his ministry and his imagination for the shape of this world. And he says, and I want to read these words again, just to draw our attention to them. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. King Jesus wants us to see and hear something of who he is and what his kingdom is like. And this is good news, significant news, life-altering news. It changes everything, not just a new way of thinking, but a new way of life. And it's good news with skin on. As Jesus shares these words from Isaiah, he's painting a new picture of a kingdom that is good news to every part of who we are. Every one of our relationships, every part of our world, every system, Every structure, every location, place, people, and time, this is good news. There are many, many people who have tried to describe something of the gospel of Jesus. I could have quoted loads of people today. I picked one, Michael Bird, a a Melbourne-based theologian. He says this, The gospel of Jesus the Nazarene is a justice-bringing, slavery-crushing, illness-healing, debt-remitting, low-status-reversing, sin-cleansing, outsider-including, and truthing-to-power gospel. Isn't that good news? There isn't anything that doesn't fit in there. This changes everything. Thanks, Michael Bird. This good news is good news to the impoverished and the exploited to the excluded and rejected and unseen and abandoned and isolated and lonely. This is good news for the trapped and anxious and despairing and depressed and addicted. This is good news for the physically unwell and the mentally unwell and and for those who feel they cannot see clearly anymore. This is good news for those under foreign control and the abused and the racially oppressed and we could list event after event or moment after moment or feeling after feeling or Whatever it is you might be feeling hopelessness in, this is good news in your hopelessness. Wherever you might be feeling broken, this is good news in your brokenness. The good news is for everyone who has been caught up in the great rebellion against God. That's all of us. This is good news for everyone who is marked by sin. Also, all of us. This is good news for every one of us in every part of history, in every place. And Jesus says, I am here. I am him. I am not just the bringer, the preacher, the proclaimer of good news. The good news is here. 
he says, I am here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a huge theme throughout the story of God's people in the Old Testament. This jubilee year, a huge party year, not just a day of celebration, not just monthly celebrations, but a whole year of celebration, of telling and retelling the stories of the goodness of God, of captives literally being set free, of prisoners being released, of debt being forgiven, of relationships being restored, of land being returned, of reconciliation being a not political event. This is good news for everyone. Jesus says, in me you can find restoration with God, with each other, within yourself, and with all of creation. The good news is about something that has happened, is happening, and will continue to happen. Jesus is saying, I am the one who brings all things together. I am the one who completes all things. In me, heaven and earth will be reunited. In me, all that you are and hope for is fulfilled. I wish we had time to keep following Jesus' journey through the book of Luke. Story after story of Jesus teaching and showing and demonstrating and revealing an imagination for a new way of life now and a renewed world to come. And if we keep following Jesus like his followers did, staying close to him and watching on and listening in closely, we, see, we find interactions of good news that demonstrated the effect of the good news of Jesus himself in every dimension of life. As Jesus wonderfully and surprisingly reveals his kingdom. Jesus is the story of good news. And it's not just good news for you. It is good news for our world, and it is good news for your neighbor. Because the thing Jesus doesn't do is let us just sit on the good news and hold it to ourselves. He invites his followers to join him in his recreation work, in his restoration work, in his good news sharing, upside down kingdom bringing way of life. King Jesus invites us to join him in renewing the shape of the world. And it's part of this wonderful invitation of God to join in with him in his grand restoration project. There's an interesting wrestle for people as they hear Jesus read these words in this story. He's, he's in his own hometown, and his own family and friends, the people he grew up with, struggle to hear the good news. At first... They were amazed. Who doesn't want to hear words like that? That is good news for me. But then Jesus invites them into the surprising invitation, the bit that they weren't expecting, to join him in living out that good news and to join him in inviting everyone in to hear the good news, to experience the life of Jesus. And Jesus retells some stories in, 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 a bit further in Luke chapter 4 about the prophets Elijah and Elisha, famous prophets in their story. And he reminds them that the good news of God has always been for everyone. It never was just for them. And that they 
and they, they've been surprised before and they are now surprised again and they will continue to wrestle with this through the Gospels and, and into these stories of the early church in the book of Acts about who is being invited into the kingdom. And there might be lots of reasons for why they get frustrated and furious, as this translation puts it. But when they figure out that the good news is not just for them, they become furious. And they overflow with frustration and they try to throw Jesus off the cliff. I think it has something to do with the good news not being everything that they had imagined it to be. That Jesus had surprised them with a different imagination of the kingdom. It's not the only time in the story, stories of Jesus and God's people that they get upset when they realize that, that people that maybe they don't think should be invited are invited into the kingdom of God. There are countless stories through the Old Testament well into the New Testament of people wrestling with this idea. It begs the question out of this story and out of the whole story of God, I wonder what we think about who God might be inviting into the kingdom in our time and place. How do we wrestle with the everyone is invited part of the good news? Maybe an extension question is, how are we going with bringing good news to this world here and now? Yeah. And Jesus' story is filled with people who reject him, starting right here with his relatives. They reject him as the Messiah. They reject him as king. They reject him as God. People come up with all sorts of reasons to reject and ignore Jesus. And many people in our time and place will ignore, reject, despise even Jesus. But I wonder if we make that decision sometimes on behalf of other people as those who've been entrusted with the story of God, who know the good news. Maybe we're also a little bit angry with God because there's some people he wants to invite into the kingdom that we're not so sure we want into the kingdom of God. Have we rejected God on others' behalf by not bringing the good news to them, by not living it out courageously in front of them, I can think of a, a number of reasons that we may not have moved towards our neighbours. At the top of my list is chronic indifference. Chronic indifference. Do we overflow with a passionate love, like Jesus does, for this world? Or are we indifferent? to others hearing and knowing the life and light and hope of Jesus? What about our constant wrestle with pursuing pleasure over pain? Going the comfortable road, the relaxed road, the wealth-building road, the security road, rather than the costly pathway, because sharing and bringing the good news is costly. It's cross-shaped. It requires acts of love and generosity and giving something of ourselves and of who we are. Maybe we're so distracted in our pursuit of pleasure by materialism, by the easy distractions, and it's just more comfortable. 
easier. One I think many of us wrestle with is a hiddenness, or what I like to call a hidden mess, an unwillingness to get close enough to people that they might be able to see back into my house, maybe the mess there, my kids, maybe how it's not always orderly and tidy there, maybe even my own heart and life and the mess that's in here. Maybe we're so afraid that they might see something vulnerable about who we are, we don't get close enough. Or maybe it's tribalism. That we're only keen to connect with people who are like me, like us. Who earn the kind of same amount I do, who have the same education plans for my kids as I do have the same imagination of what a good life looks like as I do, who look and smell and feel the same as me. And at its worst, I think we call this racism. I'll name it. Another wrestle, one of the reasons we don't move towards our neighbours is restlessness and unwillingness to put down roots, to stay, to be with people for the long term. A constant pursuit of the next thing. In my generation, we call this traveling the world. It might be something different for you and your generation, your personality. So what needs to change? What is it in me that resists the moving towards my neighbor? Because the good news is good news for everyone. And we could talk about how, what this might mean in our workplaces and where we have fun and to all sorts of people and places, but, but given it's neighbor day, Let's talk about your neighborhood, where you live. There are loads of places we can live this out, all sorts of ways. But I'm keen for us just to imagine in this morning's conversation where we live. Because we all live somewhere. What does it look like for us to be bringers of the good news? Shaping our world more generally, but specifically our neighborhood, specifically for the Broadview community, this neighborhood. How might we bring the good news of the kingdom that changes lives into our community? The first thing I want to say is move in. The gospel of Jesus is the gospel of incarnation. God himself translating himself, becoming human, and moving into a time and place, his, our time and place, humanity's story and history and reality, so that we might enter into the story of God. There's a relocation that needs to take place. We're in a different season of ministry now, but as we were called into Richmond about 12 years ago now, um, we moved into Richmond. We relocated physically uh, where we lived and worked and played, and, and as much as we possibly could, we overlapped uh, all of those things to interact as much as possible with the people in our neighborhood as a, a way of obedience for us, a way to live for us, of witnessing to Jesus' incarnation. Andrew and Rach have moved into this community as they moved into here, selling up, moving, moving schools, costly to their family. So my question is, do you need to move into a neighborhood? That might mean moving house. Do you need to move into a neighborhood? Or 
do you need to move into your neighbourhood? You might not need to move house, but maybe it's a heart thing. In fact, neighbouring is a heart thing. It's a choosing to be where God has placed you, to be in real time and real place with the people that he has around you, to notice who they are and to move towards them. Do you need to choose to stay in your location, stay connected to a person, to move your heart and your mission and your motivation into a place? Do you need to move in? Second, make room. The gospel is the gospel of making room. God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, making room for humanity, giving of himself in hospitality and generous love, sacrificial love, to make room for us. Inclusion, reconciliation, hospitality and sharing and asking for help and sharing life and vulnerably connecting with the people in the houses or apartments in your street or block or building. That looks very real and practical as you share your dining table with people. But it's also a, a shift of heart as you move towards people, making room in them in your social circle, in your life in the space that you have for others, maybe even reconciling with them. This is true at huge global systemic levels, national levels, but also at the neighborhood level. Because we often carry prejudice with us into the neighborhood. Prejudging people, assuming things of people, instead of knowing them, loving them, We prejudge them. And reconciliation is that repentance work, that movement towards repairing that. Do you need to repent of prejudging your neighbor? Do you need to move towards your neighbor in a courageous act of reconciliation, of inclusion, of inviting them in, of making room for them? A number of years ago, I got to lead a workshop on uh, the heart of neighboring, I called it to a whole bunch of community development workers in Wyala, a really tricky town, lots of complexities. It was a great journey. I learned so much from the people up there, great people, mostly not followers of Jesus. And I got to lead this, worship, uh, this workshop called The Heart of Neighbouring, and I, I wove in there as much invitation into the kingdom of God as I could without making it a church service. And one of the community development workers, as we talked about this idea of assuming things about our neighbours, and maybe even acting in forgiveness, realizing and naming to the group that she needed to forgive her neighbor for something they hadn't even done. And she told the story of how a couple of years before, a neighbor had left after a number of years and they'd been really close and there was a lot of grief connected to that neighbor moving on. And she realized when the next group of people moved in, the next household moved in, the next people moved into that house, that she had resisted making room for them because she was already upset at them for moving out. Isn't that interesting? That we can prejudge, that we can place ourselves in a space that requires repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. And she named in this group of uh, community developments, I need to forgive my neighbor. Do you need to forgive your neighbor? Maybe it's for something they've actually done, 
But maybe it's like this lady for something they haven't even done. Loving our neighbor, loving your neighborhood means seeing differently, means taking risks, making room. The gospel is layered and layered and layered with the story of God taking risks for us, of making room for us, that making room, building community, opening our homes, opening our church family is an act of gospel love in our community. The third thing I think we need to do in in neighbouring is model the way. Model a way of life. Join Jesus in co-creating the beautiful new, new world that he began to describe and continued to model to us and invited us to join him in. What is our imagination as we follow Jesus and learn from Jesus for what kind of world he wants us to create, not one day, but now? What part of the renovation work are we going to get stuck into? How are we living out the physical, emotional, mental, relational, systemic reordering and recreating and restoring and restoring of all things? And that looks different for all of us in different ways, played out through passion and gift, through opportunity, through the people God has placed in front of us. What does it look like to work with people, to bring new life to spaces, community projects, a great way to witness to generosity and love and community and neighboring, to create room for different kinds of people, especially those that the rest of the world finds hard to make room for. How do we work alongside other like-minded people to increase connection and reduce isolation? One of the single most significant diseases of our age isolation and loneliness. Out of that realization, Thriving Neighborhoods was born in our community, a collective of community development people, like-minded organizations, over a dozen different organizations working together to create a safer, better connected community. And our church family, right in the middle of that, right at the heart of that. In fact, our space became the HQ, the gathering place for this community-wide, neighborhood-wide movement of making room for people. We don't have to do this on our own. What are the ways we can love our neighborhood, both as individuals and households, but also as a collective? We are, you are, artists and architects of a new world, bringing beauty, justice, peace, celebration, into our world, building community. What does that look like for you as a neighbor? In what ways could you do that? As you think of the person on this side of your house or that side or behind you in front of you, across the road, what does that look like for you? And what does that look like for Broadview as a collective? Neighboring is a way of life for God's people. It is as much a part of who we are called to be as any other aspect of following Jesus. It's part of our citizenship. It's part of our call. It's part of our commission as individuals and as a collective. And as the people of God, we're citizens of two worlds, living in neighborhoods and cities. We, we live as dual citizens, identifying both with the hopeful horizon of the future reality of the coming kingdom of God, the now and not yet, but also with the grounded reality of the people and the pavement and the potential 
of the neighborhoods that God has placed us in today. And it is into this beauty and the mess of our day, of our lives, in our vocations and families and especially our neighborhoods, that we are called and invited to live out a wonderful way of life that beautifully paints a portrait of of King Jesus, witnessing to our neighborhoods, not just as a good idea proclaimed from a stage on a Sunday morning, but as a beautiful and sometimes messy, lived, embodied reality as we connect with our neighbors, as we move into our neighborhoods, as we make room for our neighborhoods, and as we model for them a way of life and invite them to join us in it. So that our neighborhoods, so that our neighbors can see and hear and know about the good news of King Jesus and his kingdom. Now, the question I often ask myself is, is it enough to just talk about it? And of course the answer is, of course not. Of course not. I just want to mention that this is sometimes hard. You might have had the experience of a neighbor not wanting anything to do with you. And that can range from, like we have on one side, indifference. Nothing's happened. They just don't want to know us. Three years and we don't know their names. Nothing we've tried has broken the ice. That's their call. I'm not going to invade their space in a hostile and violent way. But we'll keep looking for opportunities with them. Or your experience might be something much more difficult, a really complex relationship, hard relationship with a neighbor. I want to recognize that it's hard and not everyone else has the same imagination that we might have. And we've got to trust Jesus in that. And maybe it's okay to focus our attention on the neighbors and the people around us and the people in front of us where we can find opportunity to love and connect, make room and model away with. One of the things I want to leave you with, though, is that neighboring requires a sign. You might have your heart in the right place. I've moved into this neighborhood. I'm ready to make way. I'm tr- make, make room. I'm trying to model away. Do your neighbors know? How have you signaled that? Or do you, like everyone else, click the automatic garage buzzer, drive into the garage, click the button again, and carry on with life? Your neighbor is none the wiser that you are a carrier of the best news, of the greatest story, of the good news of Jesus. How have you put out a sign? In what ways have you signaled your intentions to your neighbor? And I've got to ask today, what might you do today to put out a sign, to invite an opportunity, to connect? Hugh McKay is an Australian social researcher, and, and, and he says this, particularly into anxiety of our society. He says, if I were asked what to do about the level of insecurity and anxiety in contemporary Australian society, I wouldn't start with politics. I'd suggest, as the first step, that you invite your neighbours over for a drink this weekend. Today, a drink. Tomorrow, a barbecue. Pretty soon, a community. Now, that's Hugh's response to stepping in to the messy reality of our world. Yours might be very different, 
and that's okay. But inviting your neighbors over for a meal or a chat or going over to them or asking for help or finding a way to build a connection is something you can do. That's our invitation today. Let's go, neighbor. Let me pray. Uh, King Jesus, uh, I join those first followers that heard your good news in just wonder, wonder that you, the God of the universe, would gift yourself, your life, your death, your resurrection, and invite us into a story of reconciliation, of restoration, of forgiveness, of grace, of mercy, of kindness. And then you go further and you invite us into joining you in that work of renewing the world, of reshaping the world. Jesus, I pray that you might speak to my heart, our hearts, about the neighbors who might be around us. That you would speak to my heart about making room for my neighbors. Speak to our hearts. Speak to this community as it practices your way. And God, help us to witness well to who you are, to celebrate well, pointing to the goodness of who you are. And we thank you, Jesus, that we're part of your story, but this good news is not just for us, it's for our neighbors too. And so I pray that we would have eyes to see, hearts to connect with, hearts to love our neighbors. I pray this for for myself, for each one here, for this church community, in Jesus' name. Amen.